Grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18. While you're turning there, we have been in this series on uh, the culture of offense. And uh, some of the uh, resources I've been using, I've, we've done them, but I just want to put them up here one more time. The Bait of Satan by John Brevere is a book that worked off. Uh, Nate Hedinga did a series over at Cascade Community uh, in Monroe, one of our daughter churches, sister churches. And uh, it was called Trapped. And it's the same uh, idea uh, that we've been working off of. Uh, Jim Wilson has a booklet called How to Be Free from Bitterness that uh, I've handed out to many of us and many of us have read and been helped by. And then uh, lastly, uh, Michelle and Ben Dale gave me uh, Josh, Mc, Josh McDowell's. Many of us know him from apologetics and more than a carpenter and evidence that demands a verdict and all that kind of stuff. But his life story is actually an amazing life story of being freed from the sin of offense. And uh, as a young man, and if you want to get that, you can get that DVD and watch it. But uh, one of the interesting questions off of that, what would have happened if Josh would have caved into bitterness and held offenses and never gone on to do what he did for the Lord in the kingdom. You know that he has spoken to more people in universities across the world than any other human being alive, and that includes Billy Graham. All right? What if he would have held on to the offense? What if he would have held on to the sins against him and never gone on to do the things? How many people and how many uh, people would not have uh, the kind of things now that have led them to faith because of what Josh was led to do through the Holy Spirit? So it's a huge thing. And we're going to talk about that um, this morning. So let's, let's pray this morning and then we'll walk together. Father, as we go into this, it's a special morning in that there's going to be opportunity for us to respond to you and then go into communion together. That certainly is something that could be manipulated on a human level. But it's also something that can be beautifully orchestrated by your spirit and can be, as Zach said, a response of freedom from the heart where we know these things are trying to trap us, trying to kill us, and we consciously choose to let them go. We pray for you to be involved this morning. Give us insight, give us courage, give us wisdom, but also help us to be obedient with the call of your Spirit on our life. And we seek you for that. Help us to be a redeemed people this morning, not an offended people. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, this morning the title of the message is called The Monkey Trap, all right? And you'll get that in just a second. Um, I did that to just whet your appetite and your curiosity. But uh, if you look in Luke chapter 17, uh, that's the short version of Matthew 18. And uh, you can just go one gospel over Luke 17, 1 through 5. But Jesus is telling this story or the, the parable in Luke's version. And he says, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. Right? In other words, um, if you're talking about offense, you don't have to look too far. They're, they're going to happen. They're all over the place. It says they're bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. All right? Just a couple quick points off of that. Um, like I said, there are and will be multiple opportunities to, for us to be offended in this life and with each other. I might have already offended you this morning that I didn't wear a tie for communion, right? There's, it just happens, right? You don't even have to try. Um, if you haven't been offended yet, just wait five minutes. It'll come, all right? 
Second thing, it is a severe warning to those who cause offenses, especially to children, which the the context here is causing them to stumble in their faith. Uh, A millstone around your neck and thrown in the heart of sea is not a nice picture. That isn't pleasant. Uh, Think of your own personal Titanic. And you kind of got the picture, right? Crack, boom, down, gone. Uh, When we're talking about this offense, NIV says sin. Uh, New King James Version says offenses. New American Standard Bible says stumbling blocks. They're all the same word for scandal on. And we've used the picture of a rat trap. And this trap right here, this bait stick part, the part you put the peanut butter or the yummy stuff on there so that the rat will sniff it and bite it, that triggers the trap. This is the scandal on. And the idea there is that sin, stumbling blocks, or offenses are all the same thing. They are traps. They are bait to get us trapped. And the idea there is to kill us. Kill us how? Kill us in our spirit. Have you ever figured out how hard it is to walk with the Lord Jesus if you're angry and offended? It's a miserable journey. Okay? And some of us have done that. And you just can't reconcile anything because you're caught. You can't get free from the sin of offense. This trap we've been talking about is the sin of offense. And so in uh, Luke 17, verses 1 through 5, Jesus says, again, this is the short version of Matthew 18. We're going to go to Matthew 18 in just a minute. It says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day, and seven times a day comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. And at this, the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. This is actually, Bevere points out in his book, The Bait of Satan, one of the most astounding statements in all of the New Testament. Think about all the things that um, Jesus, that the disciples asked Jesus for. You know, they asked him, teach us how to pray. They did all these different things. Lord, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to do that? But when Jesus says this part, when he talks about the idea of repentance, forgiving your brother, taking offense, that kind of stuff. And he gets done with that. They go, increase our faith. Because they, like us, know, yikes. Okay? What a deep challenge it would be. And they knew they needed to increase their faith to be obedient. Right? And some of you wrestled with this. It is tough to let go of an offense, particularly if it's got roots. Right? Hi, Kathy. Welcome. And it, it just grabs you by the heart and it's like sticky glue, right? You just can't, right? It's really hard. And for some of this, this dominates our thinking. It dominates our emotional time. It dominates our thought process so that we never really do walk in the light. We never really get freed up to think outside of ourselves. Okay, why is this particular issue so difficult? Well, this is a picture here of a monkey trap uh, Dave Weed gave me an illustration in Africa, and uh, Nate Hedinger gave me an illustration from Australia uh, listening. But essentially, they're the same thing. Let me give you both of them just so you can get the picture. Uh, the Africans use a small round gourd like you can see up here on the screen, or a pot or something, and they'll put something shiny or glittery in it. Okay, And so when the monkey sees that, his curiosity is, ha, ha, right? I got to grab that. So he puts his hand in and the opening is just enough that he can slip his hand in. But when he grabs the shiny thing to get it out, he can't get his fist out of the opening because the fist now is bigger or larger uh, than the opening. 
Um, in uh, Australia, they do something a little different. Uh, Nate quoted a guy called Cole Strange. I should say Pastor Nate. Okay, To me, he's Nate. But Pastor Nate uh, quoted a guy. Sorry, Nate, if you're listening to this. Uh, he, he, he quoted a guy named Cole Stringer who wrote a book called Take Your Hand, Take Your Hand Out of the Cage, Monkey. All right? And what, it's in Australia. And what they do in Australia is they have cages that are about this big. And what they do is they set a banana on the ground. Then they put the cage over it and then stake the cage to the ground. And in that cage are slits that are just big enough for the monkey to reach his hand in and grab the banana. But voila, just like in Africa, when he reaches in and he grabs that banana, he can no longer pull his wrist out with the, his fist around the banana. It's now too wide and he's stuck. Now, this would be funny. It's a, it's a good picture, except that these are hunters who set out these traps, and their goal is to capture as many monkeys as they can. And so they come back along, and they carry with them, club, with them clubs, and they start whacking the monkeys. Okay? So this morning, imagine that you are monkey number four. All right? You are monkey number four that's wandered into this. You've grabbed the banana. You're holding on to it. And you're coming along and you look. And here come the hunters. And thunk, down goes monkey number one. Ooh, that didn't look like fun, right? And then all of a sudden, bonk, down goes monkey number two. And you're thinking, well, that's not, oh, wait a minute. That's getting closer. Crack, down goes monkey number three, right? Now you're sitting there. You're watching this. You're monkey number four. And you start to say to yourself, man, you know, Fred over there, he ain't looking too good. This is not a good idea. Somewhere in this process, it has to occur to the monkey number four that he does have a choice. There is something he could do. What's the choice? What's the option? Well, whatever it is, he better decide quick, right? Because they're moving his way. What should he do? Well, here's a humorous way to put it. What should he do? Come on, say it with me. Just let it go, right? If you're the monkey and you see them coming with clubs and they're heading towards you, what should you do with the? Do you want the banana? Yes, but what should you do? Just let it go, right? If you dropped it, your hand would come out and you could be free. You could walk away. The hunters would not be able to get you. Now, what would inspire a monkey to not let go? Why would he not let go when he sees the hunters coming this way? And I want to suggest something. Greed. Okay? We, by nature, tend to be greedy as humans, especially in the fall. And greed grabs us. Jeremiah 6.13 says this of Israel before they were taken into captivity. See if this isn't true of the America you know. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. We often think in terms of greediness, in terms of money, right? Or bodies, lust. We think sexually, right? Greed that way. But there's another type of greed that uh, we're really prone to, and that's greediness for revenge, greediness for a hunger for payback, uh, a thirst for vengeance, right? We know we should let it go, but we grab it and we're trying to squeeze the snot out of that thing. And someone comes and says, you know, you should let that go. That's going to kill you. I don't care, Right? They're going to pay. And we just clutch and we grab and we're, we're touching that. And that brings us to Matthew 18. And I want to talk about this. I call this the blind spot. Right? Do you know what a blind spot is? It's something you can't see. 
Okay? And what's the amazing thing about pride is that we can see it in everybody else but ourselves. I can tell you where your pride is. I'll bet you my wife could tell you where mine are. I could tell you where hers are. That's not a good thing, though, right? It's all the married people laughing, yeah, ha, ha. All right? But to us, it's blind. How is it a blind spot? Okay, let's take a look. Matthew 18. Peter comes to Jesus, and he is feeling pretty spiritual and uh, magnanimous and, you know, just, and he's got a spiritual question. You know, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Right? Thinking he's doing pretty good. Up to seven times? Look at how spiritual I am. Wow, seven times. And that's God's perfect number. Not just once, twice, seven times. Right? That's awesome. What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. If you do the New King James or the King James Version, it says 70 times seven, which is 490 times. Right? That's a lot of times. And all of a sudden, whoops. Now what do we got? What are we dealing with? So Jesus says, okay, let me tell you a story. Here's what it looks like. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all had to be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Wow. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant, like before, fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't have you had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This, says Jesus, is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. This is how serious the issue is. So let's, let's pull a couple things from this. All right, first of all, there's no comparison in the size of the debt. The 10,000 talents and the 100 denarii, if we put that in today's language, we'd understand it's, a, let's say the 10,000 talents is a billion dollars, right? And the 100 denarii is about 15,000 bucks. Now, if we make 45000 a year, quarter of your salary, 15000 bucks. right? Now, 15000 bucks is a lot of money, okay? I could use $15,000 right now. Anybody else, right? I mean, hello, that'd be a significant chunk of change. I could go to Wisconsin on vacation and have a pretty good time with that, all right? <laughs> That's a big amount. That's not just chump change. But in comparison to $1 billion, how much is that? It's, it's the, it's, so when we talk about the master forgiving that first debt, let's just say it's an unpayable debt. There's no way humanly on this earth you can pay that kind of debt. You're sunk unless somebody extends 
terms to you, like we're extended here, you're not going to cover it, all right? 15,000, you might be able to, but uh, a billion, you're not going to be able uh, to put it together. And the question off of that is, what is the offense we're holding on to in comparison to what we've been forgiven? What is the offense we're holding on to in comparison to the debt that we have been forgiven? What has the Lord forgiven you this morning? Now, some of us, it's more. Some of us, it's less. Some of us, it's bigger. Some of us, more hidden. Doesn't really matter, though, because in terms of the debt that was owed, could any of us pay that this morning? Even the best among us, could any of us pay the debt that was owed to the Lord? Not even close, right? Second point off of that, what that means is this. The very worst we can do to each other is but a drop in the bucket to what we have done to God. Nate says in his message, as offensive as our behavior is to each other, and we can be really offensive to each other and really ugly and really stupid and really dumb, right? Even the most polite of us, we can really be knotheads in this deal. As offensive as our behavior is to each other, it is nothing from God's perspective to what we have done to him and what our sin has done to him. Our sin to him is off the charts Richter scale comparison to what, how we've sinned against each other. Because we're talking about an all-holy God, an all-righteous God, uh, an all... Uh, uh, I lost the word. An all. Right? And we don't get holiness because we live within the fall and, and Scripture says we see darkly through it. We get glimpses of it. We know what it should be. And so Nate says this, a person who fails to forgive is a person who has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. Okay? If we fail to forgive, then we have forgotten what we've been forgiven of. And if we fail to forgive, then in essence we're in trouble because we've forgotten what it means to be saved. Okay? And if you really want to go theologically on it, if we fail to forgive, the real question on the table is, are we even saved? If we're a grudge holder, if we're mean, if we're just holding on and we're payback and we're going to force people, the question is, are we even really saved in that deal? Because if you've been forgiven, then you know what you've been forgiven of and then you can forgive others who sinned against you. Right? Here's the other point. It is a big deal from God's perspective. Notice at the end of that passage, what does Jesus say? This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. Notice it says each of you. Unless you forgive your brother from the heart. And the picture there is when the guy was forgiven the billion-dollar loan and went out and trashed the snot out of the guy who owed him the 15000 bucks, and he put his, him and his wife and kids in jail, the master came back and said, you're going to, you, uh, seriously? You're going to do that? All right, then you're going to get exactly back what you did. And the picture there is one of torture. 
All right? The picture is there is that it, we will be thrown into torture. Now, I don't know all, all where that lands and all what that works out, but I can tell you this, when God uses that kind of language, it's not good. It would be wise to stay away from whatever that is. Okay? And not to fool ourselves and go along in our pride and say, well, I can stay offended, I'm still saved, and it's all okay. That's not where this leads to. It's, it's um, the intimation is enough to scare us. What, are, what should we do then? We should wear a different kind of clothing. If you turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3, or you can look up on the screen here. Use this often in weddings. This is a great wedding passage and. Young couples go, yes, that's awesome. Okay? And then people who are married 25 years go, wow, that's hard. <laughs> Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and why are we holy? Are we holy because of what we've done or are we holy because of what he's done for us? We're holy because of what he's done for us. By the way, if you don't know the gospel, the gospel is simply this, that Jesus came down because of this problem called sin in the fall, And he lived a sinless life and he took our sins upon us and he died on the cross for us and made the unpayable payment. You no longer have to pay for your sin because Jesus paid for it on the cross. Your sins are covered. If you come under his umbrella, if you accept the offer, if you come under his authority and plead for that debt to be forgiven, just like the man pled in this passage, then it says you'll be saved. Saved or debt canceled. Right? And Jesus rose again from the dead. We celebrate that every Easter. And he will be coming back. And so uh, if you place your faith in Christ, then you will be saved. Your debt can be canceled. That's the gospel. Right? It says, dearly love, clothe yourselves. In other words, this morning, uh, you all got up and you put clothes on, which is a good thing. Me too. I put on a new shirt. My wife bought me in. My daughter picked out for me and very nice, all right? So here, though, it's not talking about clothing, but it's saying just like you put on clothes every day, here's some clothes you should put on. Compassion. How's your compassion meter doing lately? Right? Isn't it easy to get hard and jaded in our world? Kindness. Kindness is one of those things where it sounds weak and sissy. Oh, you're kind. Just try being kind. One of the gutsiest, most courageous things you've ever had to do in your life. Be kind. Humility. Of course, we all have that in bucketfuls, right? We're humble people and we want others to know it. Gentleness. The picture there is if you take a great big dad and he's walking along with his two, three-year-old son. They're walking through a football field or something, baseball field, and they're holding hand in hand. Which hand, by definition, is more powerful? The dad's, right? Therefore, by definition, which hand has to be more gentle? The dance. Do never misunderstand that God's gentleness or his meekness is weakness. Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He had to kill the man with his bare hands. He was a powerful dude. So gentleness, we're supposed to wrap ourselves in that. And it says this. The verses we all love, bear with each other. That does not mean, okay? It means bearing with. You got that, right? Bearing with, right? Okay? And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. 
Forgive, and here's the key phrase, forgive what? As the Lord, what? Forgave you. So I guess it really comes down to our understanding of how has the Lord forgiven me? If he's forgiven me that billion dollar debt, then at that point I've got to say, well, then I'm the pennies and nickels and dollars and five bucks and 10 bucks and even up to the $15,000, I guess I'm going to have to extend forgiveness that way as well. Because that's how the Lord forgave me. I'm going to have to become like him. If I'm to become like Christ, I'm going to have Christ's mind. Then I guess I'm going to start have to acting like him. And one of the things God's good at doing is forgiving offenses. Aren't you grateful? Amen? Anybody? How many times have you offended Jesus with your stubborn, mule-headed, inside, I won't, you can't make me? Now, I know outwardly we never do that, right? I love the Lord. Blessings. Right? Okay. But inside, we can be pretty stubborn. All right. It says, forgive as what? The Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. How easy is it to love if you don't forgive? Husband, wives, come on, cards on the table. How easy is it to act in love if you won't forgive the other person? It is miserably difficult to try and act loving when you are angry and offended and you won't forgive. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Okay. Right? You ever tried to say the right words, but that venom comes out behind it? Right? And when we're married, it's so awful because you can't hide nothing because the nonverbals and everything are so known, right? Oh, you did it again. What? That. What? I did not. Yes, you. Eyebrow thing. What eyebrow thing? Well, every time you say it and you don't mean it, you cock your eyebrow. Mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> And we just get all spastic because we know we're had because they've, that we're already dead and then we're mad that they caught us. And then we won't forgive them for that. And it's just a hard deal. But over all these virtues put on love, which what? Binds them all together in perfect unity. The essence of the love of God flowing through a marriage, flowing through a family, going, flowing through a, a church, a group of people, is the ability for His love to manifest itself among us. That's how people know it's not it's Jesus and not just us. All right? But the thing that kills it, the thing that cuts the guts out of it, this little trap right here. The sin of offense, and we won't forgive each other and we hold offenses and it kills off what? Our capacity to love each other and our capacity to love God. And then we're in trouble. Here's some questions that Nate was led to, and they were so awesome, I thought, why recreate them? Okay? Here's two good questions. Question number one. When did Jesus forgive you? Before or after you were saved? He forgave you before, right? So if we're waiting all our lives for that other person to come and ask us forgiveness, we might be waiting a long time. They may never come. Matter of fact, for some of us this morning, the hard part is they may be dead and we have no way to reconcile it. Right? When do we forgive? Before they come. Just like Jesus did. And here's the other question that I thought was really the good one. The first one we know, and we can 
kind of theologically dance with it and go, yeah, yeah, I got that one, okay. This one's a little tougher. The Lord said to Nate when he was preparing that series that he was working on, said, Nate, would you want God to forgive you the way you've forgiven other people? Think about that once. Would you want God to forgive you the way you've forgiven other people? As we come this morning, you can see how sticky this, that this stuff is. But this morning, I want to come back to this. You know what? It's going to be a process. And next week, by the way, I know how this works. We're going to talk about the process of forgiveness and what forgiveness is and what it isn't and what it looks like. Because as sure as we do something here, it will come back sticky glue to us Monday, right? And then you go, didn't work. <laughs> okay. All right. Got it. Cool. Peace. All right. I already know that. Okay. But there does come a time where you've got to say, what? Just let it go. All right? There comes a time when you know it's poison, it's not your friend, it's trying to kill you, and you've got to let it go. And before we come to communion this morning, one of the stern admonitions in Corinthians and communion is that we should examine ourselves. And often we say, well, what should I examine myself for? Well, here's the thing we could use this morning that's very clear. Who do you have an offense against? Who will you not free? Who will you not let go? Who are you trying to torture? Who are you trying to pain? Even if it's not causing them physical torture, in your mind, you're thinking about how you would do it if you could get away with it. Who can you not get that knot out of your stomach and you will not let go? Your fence is clenched and they are going to pay. Miserable twerp that they are. Who is that? This morning as we come, who would that be? Who has offended you? I'm going to ask, we've got some of the guys this morning, some of the elder board and some of the leaders in our church. I'm going to ask them to come up here this morning. If you'd come, John, Jan, others, come on up front. Just space yourself out up here. We're going to go into a time of prayer. And... um, But there's two options this morning, and I want us to go in a time before the Lord with him. One, if you know you're supposed to let something go, you could just stand, just where you are, just stand up before the Lord and let him know you are serious about that. Some of us may want to come down for prayer, right? You're not more spiritual if you do or anything like that. But, you know, there's some where you just want to come up and say, I'm really struggling with this. I have tried to get rid of this, and I cannot shake that booger, and it's just chasing me around. Would you pray for me? And uh, they, they're up here just, if you need to be prayed with, they will pray with you. All right, does that make sense? So would you do me a favor, and at this point, would you close your eyes and just get alone with you time, you and Jesus? As we come to communion this morning, The idea there is that we are in relationship with Jesus and the reason that we are in relationship with Jesus is because of what he's done for us. And therefore, we are to forgive as he forgave us. Usually when you're young, you think in black and white terms, right? 
you're 20-something, it's all black and white, you can conquer that and you've got it all figured out. And as you head more towards 50, things get a little blurrier, not so clean. You start to realize this kind of thing is multi-layered and it hides. There's, there's pockets that surprise you where you think that you have got something covered or you may have even sat here this morning and said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty okay, I'm pretty free of that. But you'll find that um, you can be very surprised with how this can jump up and grab you and catch you in ways that you hadn't imagined. Matter of fact, there may be some who said, well, I, you know, I did that years ago. Do I got to do it again? And the answer is, yeah, if you're offended, you do. <laughs> it's amazing how it can come back. And so this morning, uh, as we're talking, next week when we come back, we're going to talk about the process of forgiveness and what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't because there's a lot of weird concepts attached to that and a lot of stuff. But this morning as we come, when we're talking, what we're talking about is the ultimate symbol of forgiveness, the ultimate symbol of what the price was. Jesus, when he came to communion, said, you know, there's some symbols here that you would recognize. One is bread, right? And we know that it is not by bread alone that man lives, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and Jesus said, remember how I was broken? And he said, what God's basic question to us in that when you look at the cross, when you look at the, the scourging and the beating and the pounding that Jesus took, the basic question God's asking is, what fault did you find with me? One of the hardest offenses to let go of sometimes is if I'm offended against God. If I find fault with him, I find fault with his justice, I find fault with his mercy. Uh, one of the reasons we won't forgive sometimes, quite frankly, is because we're like Jonah. And we're looking, and we know that God's a merciful God, and we know that that person who sinned against us might go and seek forgiveness from God, and that God actually would forgive that dirt ball. And that's not okay with me. That's not all right. And so if God isn't going to make them pay, I'll make them pay. And we actually are offended with God more than we are the people around us. Our, our, our culture, if you look at America, has a huge offense with God. They don't like his gospel. They don't like his word. They don't like how he did it. They don't like what it takes. They want to be able to come into heaven their own way and be blessed on their own merits. There's a lot of offense with God. But what Jesus demonstrated on the cross, I think, is so powerful. When he was hanging on the cross, was he still God? Did he still have miraculous powers? Yes. So if he wanted to, could he have come off of? Yes, he could have. And if I were me on that cross and I had his powers, I would have. And it would have been payback time. Why didn't he do that? Because God was trying to demonstrate something utterly fundamental that we miss all the time. What he was saying from the cross is, I'm not like you. I'm different than you are. Okay? I'm not going to retaliate and use my anger against you. Instead, I'm up here. I will forgive you. That picture gets scrambled a million different ways and twisted a thousand different ways. But the ultimate picture is, I'm not like you. 
And you need to become like me, not me become like you. Have you noticed he's pretty stubborn about it? He's not going to change. He insists that we become like him. And he says, therefore, if you come in, you're saved, and you come by my spirit, then you become like me. That's called communion. And it chiefly means when someone sits against us, we, we do suffer, but we also forgive the way he forgave us. Jesus says, eat this in memory of me. The more astounding thing is that those who are your enemies become your best friends in the Christian life. I bet that some of the very people who put Jesus on the cross will be in heaven and we will meet them. Why? Because God has an astonishing way of making his enemies his friends. When you're looking at the cup, he said it was worth every drop of shed blood for the sake of those who would be saved. He said, therefore, my friends, become like me. Drink this in memory of me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and then let's pray. Father in heaven, I opened up earlier uh, today with the prayer, may we be not the offended today, but may we be the redeemed. And Lord, uh, those who have been at this for a while recognize that's not a, a pull up by your bootstraps, try harder, strength thing. That is a yielding to your grace thing. And your grace is much more powerful than our strength. Father, may there be many set free, both in this room and outside of this room today, because of what you've been doing. And may there be a freedom and a washing and a cleansing. May you help us to be watching and careful, vigilant against the sin of offense. And we ask for your favor in that, in your name. Amen.